If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's January 26th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the constitutional crisis over America's invasion is growing around the country this morning. 25 U.S. governors are rallying to the cause that started in Texas. Details on that shortly. Second, Florida is trying to ban all social media platforms for kids age 16 and under. I'll tell you about that in a bit. Third, the farmers of Europe have had enough. I've got an update for you about how leaders of the continent there are panicking about how to manage the growing farmer protests. Fourth, the country of Iraq says that the time has come for our 2,500 troops to leave. The Pentagon says, well, okay, let's talk. That story in about 20 minutes. Later, a listener question today from Leslie in Utah. She wants to have a spy talk about hard targets and what that even means. So we will do that. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. There are 25 U.S. governors and counting who have joined the cause of Texas sovereignty this morning. They have declared that the United States is being invaded through our southern border and the federal government under Mr. Joe Biden has failed to stop it. The 25 states are pledging moral support, legal counsel and some personnel, too, including a a few National Guardsmen. White House spokesman John Kirby was asked by reporters for a response to all of this, but he said he had none to provide. He also declined to say whether Mr. Biden would federalize the Texas National Guard, which, of course, would strip Governor Greg Abbott of his authorities. Meanwhile, we are starting to see Mr. Abbott's decision to affect the flow of illegals into this country. CNN reports that some migrants are either sitting on the side of the Rio Grande River on the U.S. side, and they are shocked that they have not yet been let in. In other cases, they have been arrested by Texas officials and taken away to somewhere Well, as this constitutional crisis starts to unfold, there is very little coverage of it in mainstream media. Major newspapers and TV networks have largely avoided it, except for Fox News. But it is certainly getting the attention of 25 governors and counting this morning. It's also getting your attention. A listener named Stephanie from somewhere in America noted that she saw a report of 22 million illegal migrants who are now in this country, historically speaking. And that is true. It is likely a reference to a 2018 study by Yale and MIT universities that confirmed six years ago that we had 22 million unlawful aliens in this country. So six years later, that would put the number of of, uh, legals a little bit north of 30 million, depending on the data that you look at. And just to be very clear, that number is larger than every state in the union except California. So that is the latest on this very Very interesting and developing story out of Texas with at least 25 different states joining the cause, all of whom are Republicans, by the way. Let me offer my analysis and opinion. 
As I told you yesterday, this moment becomes history making when those 25 states start sending in thousands and thousands of National Guardsmen. Because while nice words and applauding from afar is quite lovely, it doesn't move the needle on solving this crisis. It doesn't force the federal government to uphold its end of the constitutional bargain to stop this invasion. As Governor Abbott said, the covenant between the states and the federal government was made back in 1788 when the Constitution was, of course, ratified and Biden has broken that covenant. So as ever, I remain focused on watching if words these uh, by these 25 states are actually supported by deeds. And I'm also watching for any Democrat governors joined this effort, like in states of Kansas or Kentucky. Not likely, but I'm watching for it. So all in all, my friends, we are off to one heck of a start of 2024. This is a big story, and I'm going to keep watching it, and I will keep you posted. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. The state of Florida's House of Representatives just passed a bill yesterday banning access to social media accounts by users younger than 16 years of age. That would include current young users plus future account holders too. Social media companies would have to verify the ages of these new customers as well. Now, I note that this new proposed law would exclude some social media platforms that are mostly used for things like email or streaming, news, gaming, and a slew of other categories. But the point is, for the big ones, from TikTok to Instagram, you gotta be 16. The bill now goes to the Florida Senate and then to be signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis if he so chooses. And if that happens, it will be the toughest bill of its kind in the country. And there is some more good news to this if you like this idea. The bill is widely supported on a bipartisan basis. Democrats in Florida are embracing this proposed law, or they certainly did in the House. As you would imagine, however, social media companies are not embracing this proposed law. The parent company of Facebook and Instagram that is called Meta, they say that it is unconstitutional and they will sue to block it. The company and its CEO, a guy named Mark Zuckerberg, said that a lot of kids use his apps and his platforms for some really good things. He emphasized that they use it to learn about church and military service. So he argues it would be wrong to block these kids from learning about God or being patriotic. By the way, the bill's passage in Florida comes just one day after New York City's Democrat mayor, Eric Adams, declared that social media platforms are, quote, environmental toxins, end quote. He called them no different than using tobacco or guns. One final thing to note for you, it is unclear whether this bill, if signed by Governor Ron DeSantis, will pass legal muster. Other measures like it have struggled in the courts. So those are the latest facts and data about this national debate about the use of technology and social media, especially for our kids. Let me pivot now to offer my analysis and opinion. Back on November 2nd, you may recall that I told you about how Florida Republicans and the governor began implementing a law that required public schools uh, to ban student cell phone use during class time. Some districts, though, went even further. They banned cell phones from all school grounds for the entire day. And the darndest things started to happen. So, for instance, cyberbullying, that went down. Teachers and parents said that there were fewer TikTok videos and Snapchats of kids fighting or posting stuff that said that, you know, somebody was fat or ugly. Teachers also noticed that students started looking up 
not down at their phones. And that new eye contact with their teachers and other students led to more engaged learning, to which most of us who grew up before cell phones would say, well, yes, obviously. And that is what legislators in Florida and elsewhere are saying this morning on a bipartisan basis, which is pretty neat to see. It's the only thing that I think that we all agree on at this point. So if you are in Florida, drop a line to your state senators and encourage them to consider this bill. Maybe a a note of thanks also to your state representatives. And for others of you in this union this morning, reach out to your state legislators and ask them where they stand on a bill like this. Maybe they should consider it too. Or maybe, maybe we should consider how the Badawi people in Indonesia handle this issue. As I shared with you all the way back on June 16th, They have blocked all cell phone use and internet connectivity because they are concerned about the morals of their young people. And that is why they are often referred to as the Amish of Asia. So there you have it. If the Florida option isn't going far enough for you, you can always move to Indonesia or Pennsylvania. I think there's a pretty big Amish population there, too, if memory serves. Also, gosh, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. Anyway, good people, the Amish. I want to do a barn raising with them at some point. At any rate, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. It is you and your financial support that are keeping this podcast alive. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, I thank you as well. I encourage you to do your part this morning and support the companies that support me. You will hear about them shortly. We'll be right back. Well, folks, by now, you know that some listeners like to call me the angel of death because apparently I deliver such bad news on this podcast. Well, if that's you and this podcast keeps you up at night, well, calm yourselves right back down and do so with a comfy bed from Ghostbed. <laughs> yep, it's a company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. And y'all know that is true because I own one. I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But they've got other great models, too. There's the classic. Uh, There is the massage bed. That sounds fun. Plus, there's one called 3D Matrix. That sounds scary, but I still want one. Doesn't matter. Whatever model you choose from Ghostbed, just do it. These mattresses are built with high-quality materials, fine craftsmanship, and when you get into that Ghostbed, you feel both of those things. And great news, you can get one of these mattresses delivered right to your doorstep. And if that makes you a little bit nervous, you know, to buy a bed without lying in it first, well, I get it. But Ghostbed has already solved that problem. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns. So, folks, if Brian, the angel of death, scares you during the day, let Ghostbed protect you at night with a great night's sleep. And here's the best part. Get 50% off when you do. Go to ghostbed.com slash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And 50% off your Ghostbed purchase will be given to you, my friends. But you got to use that website, ghostbed.com slash right. Oh, boy. But when you do, you are going to get that good night's sleep that you deserve. I guarantee it. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our news this morning with a pivot towards international developments. Former protests are spreading throughout Europe this morning, and European governments are scrambling to figure out how to contain them. The chief of the European Commission said yesterday that she's trying to understand the anger of Europe's farmers. In fact, she said she wants to talk to them. Quote, I'm deeply convinced that we can only overcome this polarization that we all sense by dialogue. End quote. The farmers, however, are in no mood to talk. In France, they are in their second week of growing protests with thousands of tractors and trucks moving closer to Paris this morning. French intelligence services have warned the government there that regional farmers are planning to converge on the capital over the next day or two. In the meantime, they are blocking highways and roads on their march to Paris. In Germany, I shared with you back on January 5th how farmers there have driven over 100,000 tractors and trucks to Berlin and beyond, blocking highways, dumping manure on government buildings, all to protest the cutting of subsidies and tax breaks, all because Germany wants to pay for their war in Ukraine and balance their budget. The uh, protests in Germany, by the way, they continue as of this morning with major gatherings planned for later this afternoon. Those will include rallies, bonfires, parades, and some vigils. Next up, in Poland, farmers there are outraged at the special treatment that they say is being given to Ukrainian farmers by their Polish government at their expense. Because of that, they are setting up nationwide roadblocks to demand some restrictions of those Ukrainian goods. They say that the Kiev's agricultural products are either unfairly subsidized, certainly by Western aid, or they're not subject to the same environmental scrutiny as they are in Poland. And that, they say, is lowering prices and eating away at their market share. Next, in Romania, farmers and ranchers there, truckers too, have just had it. They cite confusing and expensive European laws, high taxes, terrible insurance rates, amongst a bunch of other things. And just like in Germany, France, and Poland, they too are setting up roadblocks and stopping traffic. To be fair, the government in Romania is trying to settle their farmer anger this morning, but so far, no deal. For what it's worth, we have also seen protests by farmers in a lot of other countries lately, certainly over the past six months. You may recall the ones in the Netherlands. That caused a change of governments there from leftist to conservative. So taken together, these farmer protests, boy, they are causing a lot of great fear in European leaders this morning. And that is why they have announced this new desire for dialogue. When asked about that, one farmer was quoted by saying, no thanks, quote, the problem are the technocrats. We, the farmers, have common sense, end quote. Another farmer said it this way, quote, we're fed up. It has been going on for years, and there is never any solution. At some point, it has to stop, end quote. So those are the latest facts and data this morning on farmer protests growing throughout Europe, with mostly leftist leaders growing quite nervous about how to handle them. Let me now offer you my analysis and opinion. Back on November 28th, I took you with me around Europe for a deep dive into how the working men and women of Europe were growing angry even violent against leftist governments, whether that be in Ireland when we talked about the riots against the illegal aliens, or today, the, the Polish farmers who are angry about the war in Ukraine. Then, as now, we are seeing a profound clash of leftist ideals versus the actual lives of the working people. 
And the message both back in November and again today is very clear. The working class, the patriotic in Europe, they believe that they are losing their countries to waves of illegal migration, high taxes, climate change rules, or in the case of the Netherlands, the government is even seizing their farms. And the people have had enough. They want their countries back. They are proud Irishmen or Poles or Germans, and they celebrate their heritage. They're not interested in these leftist Marxist ideologies that have washed over their countries over the past 30 years. In fact, that was the message that was delivered by Argentina's new president, Mr. Mille, about a week ago. He delivered what was a barn burner of a speech to the European elites in Davos, Switzerland. And if you haven't heard it, well, you're in for a treat. I want to read you a couple of his sentences that he delivered just less than a week ago or so. Quote, the Western world is in danger, and it is in danger because those who are supposed to have defended the values of the West are co-opted by a vision of the world that leads to socialism and thereby to poverty. The main leaders of the Western world have abandoned the model of freedom for different versions of what we call collectivism. But we are here to tell you that collectivist experiments are never the solution to the problems that afflict the citizens of the world. Rather, they are the root cause, end quote. Oh boy, that is a sermon. And that will lead to a revival if you're not careful. And that is, and that is what leftists fear. And that is why we heard from European authorities yesterday asking for dialogue with the farmers to overcome what they said was, quote, polarization. But that's a ruse. European leftists don't want dialogue to overcome polarization. They want submission for their revolution. And the farmers are saying very loudly in multiple European languages this morning, no, not today, not ever. With that, we move on to our second international report of the morning. The United States government has signaled that it is willing to withdraw some of its troops from the country of Iraq. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin made his first virtual appearance this week after his secretive cancer treatment. He later announced that the U.S. would consider withdrawing some of its 2,500 troops that remain in Iraq. For folks unaware, those folks are, are still in that country as part of a training mission to help Iraqi troops to battle the Islamic State. But since the Hamas terror attacks back on October 7th, our troops have come under increasing fire. In fact, there have now been 153 attacks on our troops since that horrible day in October, including another attack yesterday. And that's prompting some of this conversation about withdrawing the remaining troops, although it's not just these external attacks. There is also pressure coming from Iraq's prime minister. He said a few weeks ago that it is now time for the Americans to withdraw permanently. Although I should say he has said this before about three years ago, but this time he says he means it. So those are the very quick facts and data about our presence in Iraq this morning. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. Two things, folks, to explain. First, Iraq's prime minister is feeling a little bit squeezed this morning. On one hand, he's got Iran and its proxy forces who are pressuring him to eject the Americans. And a lot of Iraqis agree with him. But he also knows, on the other hand, or he suspects, that his own troops are probably not up to the task of defending the nation, including against ISIS. So he's walking a knife's edge here, trying to satisfy all sides. All right, be that as it may, let's step back 
for just a moment this morning. And let's think about history, our history in Iraq. In March of 2023, the U.S. launched Operation Iraqi Freedom. Six weeks later, then-President George Bush declared mission accomplished and that major operations in that country were over. But they weren't. A bloody war was just beginning. Well, 20 years later, we're still there. And a reasonable person could ask, why? The Iraqis, they want us gone, most of them anyway. Iran is bombing us, and we can't or we won't stop it. And the Arab world, sort of writ large, has very little respect for us anymore. That is clear as the Houthis bomb us and our international coalition in the Red Sea and our attacks back don't do much of anything. So then, why should a single American soldier, airman, marine, or sailor die for this Iraqi mission or frankly for the Arab people? What is the American interest that would justify that kind of sacrifice? Well, reasonable people can debate these questions, totally fair. But what is clear to me, and I think most observers who have worked this region before, well, here it is, our dominance and our influence in the Arab world, that era is over. And that is why I say, bring the troops home. In fact, let the Houthis take over the Red Sea. And let's watch what the Arabs do at that point. Because I suspect that in very short order, the Arabs and the Persians and Iran, they will start slaughtering each other because that is what they have done for centuries. Maybe not. Maybe China will step in and deal with the mess because they need Arab oil a lot more than we do. Thank you, fracking. Meanwhile, as we largely exit from the Middle East, we should certainly give Israel what they need to defend themselves by whatever means necessary. And then... We wish the Middle East good luck, and let's do keep in touch, like uh, let's share intel about radical Islamists, and we will kill the ones that we need to, but otherwise, take care, Arabs. It was a nightmare doing business with you. And with that sassiness, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report, but I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Folks, a few months ago, you might remember that I had a very strange tech issue. My gear melted down on me. Well, to fix and protect those systems, I used a company called Cronovi. That's spelled K-R-O-N-O-V-I. And I want to tell you about them. It's a small IT company that offers a range of services from advanced forensic challenges like mine, but also for simple consumer needs too like website creation or basic tech support or helping you install and operate some fancy gadgetry that maybe you got at a birthday or Christmas time. Meanwhile, for businesses, they offer you a ton of great advanced services too, like app development or digital transformation, cloud services, e-commerce, and they do all of that and so much more at a tremendous value. By the way, the most important part of that value for me was trust. Cronovi has an Idaho-based, U.S.-run tech support team with professional certifications and backgrounds that certainly impressed me, and I know it will impress you. So go to Cronovi.com. Again, that is K-R-O-N-O-V-I. Reach out to their team, and they will get back to you on whatever your tech project might be, that be big or small, personal or business. Plus, here is an awesome benefit. For the folks who are paid subscribers on Substack, you are going to get 20% off of all of Cronovi's services. Just look for the promo code on the daily emails that I send you. And that discount, that could be hundreds or even thousands of dollars in savings, depending, of course, on your project. 
So again, everybody, go to K-R-O-N-O-V-I.com and use this wonderful Idaho-based American-run tech team that I use and trust. Again, that's K-R-O-N-O-V-I.com. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It's a listener question today sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. On Wednesday, we had Amber from Shawneetown, uh, Illinois, I believe. She wrote in about a CIA ad, and I said I would not recommend anyone from China, Russia, or Iran to work with the CIA right now. That is because, as I argued, the White House is much too corrupt and compromised, and the CIA is likely led by a pedophile, William Burns. Well, as I offered that counsel, I described to you countries like China, Russia, and Iran as being hard targets. And that prompted Leslie from St. George, Utah, or thereabouts, to write in, and she asked Brian, can you please explain your spy talk? What is a hard target, and does that mean there are soft targets? Ah, good question. All right, let's have some spy talk. And for this one, to Leslie, everybody, I want you to imagine that you just graduated from CIA's training center that is known as The Farm. So congratulations, my baby spies. Very proud of you. I now have two missions for you. The first is to travel to Mexico. I want you to recruit a guard at a key port city on the West Coast. It's called Manzanilla. And that is because we are going to start sabotaging some cartel boats and their Chinese suppliers. But we need that port guard. We need him to work for us because he can allow us in and out. He can shut off the cameras. He can signal us when there is a cartel ship or a China crew that has arrived. So as a new intel officer, fresh from the farm, tell me, how difficult do you think it will be to recruit this Mexican port guard? Well, you will probably answer this in a few different ways. First, we can think about how much money he's going to probably want, how much we're going to have to pay him. Probably a thousand, maybe two thousand bucks a month. Not a big deal. That is the price of a cocktail in Vienna, shaken, not stirred, of course. Next, we will have to gauge his willingness to take risks for us and why he would do that in the first place. Well, with a guy like him, we can probably assume that, well, living in a corrupt narco state like Mexico, he knows that he is in a dead end job in a dead end country, and he wants to provide a future for his kids. Finally, we would be thinking about how easy or difficult it might be to meet with this guy, either in secret or otherwise, and exchange information. In other words, we would have to be thinking about the technical surveillance of people going in and out of Mexico or Manzanilla. And to that end, we do know this, the cartels in Mexico get away with murder, literally, when it comes to all kinds of illegality. So we can, I think, fairly assume that we will be able to manage this concern about technical surveillance. So in short, the Mexican target is, generally speaking, not very hard or difficult. That is why you, as my baby spy, will almost certainly get your first recruit or scalp with somebody like that. So congratulations, mission accomplished, you got your recruitment, but you got to come back to headquarters. Sorry, it sucks. Now, since you're back at headquarters and we're talking, you're feeling pretty cocky about your first scalp, I'm going to give you a second mission. I'm going to send you to Russia. And your goal is to recruit a port guard there as well, because Mr. Biden has ordered us to blow up a natural gas pipeline in the Baltic Sea. 
Oh, man. Sorry, Nord Stream. Anyway, so let us ask, in this Russia scenario, is it easier, the same, or harder than it is in Mexico, and why? Well, let me offer just a few things to consider. First, we know that the Russians are a little bit um, different as a people, with all due respect. And part of that is because of all the vodka, if we're being honest. It's also because there's a, a paranoia amongst a lot of Russians about their internal security services always watching them. And to be fair, there is some long history of that. So that makes your approaching of this port guard to be a little bit difficult because they will likely be suspicious and generally they report this kind of stuff to their seniors. Second, there are security cameras all throughout Russia and many are tethered to AI software that helps identify suspicious people and activities. And if you've never heard about the concept called smart cities, oof, you should. Every move of virtually every citizen is tracked by the government with these smart city technologies. So that means even if you're able to recruit this Russian guy, odds are that internal security services can go back in time and discover very intimate details of this operation because it was all recorded. Third, and speaking of recruitment, how do you handle this port operator? Manage the operation, in other words, after you recruit the guy. Because as we've just covered, it is incredibly hard to meet this guy in person. A lot of surveillance. Well, you might be thinking we could use technology, right? Maybe that's a guy named Q or a CIA equivalent that's got the gadgetry for you. Well, maybe he's come up with something fun. But that comes with a set of challenges, too. For instance, let's say that hypothetically, the CIA gives too many of its foreign agents the exact same communication system. And then it gets discovered by, say, the Russians or the Chinese. And then hypothetically, all of your agents die. Right. That would be very, very bad. Hypothetically. So that is why Russians, ladies and gentlemen, you put those things together. That is why the Russians are hard targets. It is hard to get to them. It's hard to recruit them. And it is hard to handle or meet with them, even with technology. And the same is true of other countries like the Chinese as well. So that is the background for why I said earlier this week that I would not encourage any people from hard target countries to say yes to the CIA right now. Because to pull off these kinds of very difficult hard target operations, you have to have the best operators in the world. And you have to have the best tech guys in the world to run your operations with you. Because otherwise, a lot of people get killed. And the blunt truth is that the best agency operators are largely gone. Not all of them. Thank God for those who remain, but the legends are mostly gone. Their experience is lost. Their wisdom, their gumption have all retired from clandestine service. And horrifically, in their place, we have CIA officers that are cisgender millennials who are intersectional and bipolar, or they celebrate their queerness. And I'm not joking about that. You can watch the CIA recruitment ads that I have included in the transcripts that came out a couple of years ago caused all kinds of controversy. And that's a real shame because just 20 years ago, I worked with a wildly diverse group of people. They were black and white and gay and straight, Christian, Muslim. It didn't matter. In fact, it was awesome because we weren't there because diversity was the end goal. We were there as a diverse group because it would help us better execute the mission. And goodness gracious, we didn't care if you're a dude who had a boyfriend. And if you were, just make sure you could both cut the throat of a terrorist. Fine. Oh, and also that you both love America 
and you leave your politics at the front gate because that stuff has nothing to do with operations. Otherwise, sure, let's be friends, have a beer, let's go kill some people. And that's what's been lost. That is no longer the staff of the CIA. It has been turned into some leftist social experiment where ability has taken a backseat to this dystopian Marxist view of diversity. And that is why I would not recommend any hard target anywhere in the world work for the CIA. Not right now. But if we're to be honest, it's not just the CIA that has lost this ethos of mission first or America first. I think that parts of the country have lost this as well. And sometimes I wonder whether it has been lost forever. But you know what? At the end of the day, I'm still very bullish on America. I think we can get back to who we were. We just got to fight for it. So let that fight and that memory of a better America be the fire that drives us forward, my friends, both this weekend and beyond. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.